Hello, everybody, and welcome to our first episode of Beyond the Counter, an ongoing series where we'll take a behind the scenes look at the food and beverage industry, uh, the brands we all love, and the people who make it all happen. So in the first episode, we are interviewing Drew Dill. Drew's got a lot of insights into how COVID-19 is affecting the quick service industry and what it's going to take to succeed moving forward. Thanks for joining us today. We're glad you're here. So let's jump into our conversation with Drew. I am super excited about today's interview. Uh, we've got Drew Dill joining us. Uh, Drew, welcome. Great. Thanks for, ha- thanks for having me. Uh, Drew has been a friend for uh, about a year now. We've got to know each other through some of our work together. Um, so we're, we're thrilled to have you on. Uh, as always, I've got uh, Jesse Dunnan, CEO of Hathaway, my good friend and our co-founder. Hello. So we still got the, the rally hawk going. Yep. <laughs> Much to my wife's dismay. <laughs> and I, I added in a little bit of uh, a little bit of mustache and goatee. Uh, is this facial hair and mohawk going to cha- uh, maintain post-quarantine or is this a quarantine uh, antic? I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I got a little bit of a talking to yesterday that I have to choose either the facial hair or the mohawk. So... <laughs> Which one are you going to choose? I don't know. It's a tough question. Okay. We have to provide an answer at the end of this. <laughs> Drew, how are you hanging in for quarantine? Good, good. Yeah. No, um, thanks for having me again. Um, I'm uh, doing okay. Just uh, obviously like everyone trying to um, adjust to the new normal, right? Or find your new normal, right? And whatever that means. Um, and so just kind of finding new new activities or trying to um, just enjoy life, um, you know, uh, in whatever capacity it is, obviously uh, not able to go as many places, but at the same time, kind of taking a second to smell the roses, right? You know, you've had kind of a front row seat to the changes in the restaurant industry. So for anybody that's not familiar, maybe you could just kind of give us the, you know, what's the lay of the land um, for restaurants right now? Yeah. So, I mean, from from what I've seen, and obviously I've been doing a lot of research and, and reading, but also um, kind of just being in that space and, and coming from uh, a company um, that also is in the uh, QSR space of fast food, um, you know, I, I think it, it, it it's different across the different industries and, and categories. But um, you know, the National uh, Restaurant Association in in March said that basically like three percent of restaurants were actually closed permanently, and they were estimating an additional um, like eleven percent, I think, in April. So kind of seeing what those numbers actually come back as. Um, and then even if you look at the lay of the land, uh, about sixty percent of the those jobs that were lost in in March were actually in the food and beverage space. So really thinking of kind of that impact and how, um, you know, restaurants and businesses, but also just people are responding to it is, is you know, sales are down, right? People aren't um, going out as often, you know, for, for safety reasons, but also um, due to um, saving money, right? So that's across the board. And I think you see that, and we'll probably get into that a little bit more in detail, but, um, you know, when you look at fast casual, when you look at fast food or even uh, dine-in, um, it varies across the board. What kind of restaurants, I mean, I, I know structure plays a bit of a role, but, uh, you know, do you see or do you think franchised organizations versus company-owned organizations are, are dealing with this better or worse? Uh, what do you think about, you know, publicly traded companies or independents, right? I think you shared a, 
article on LinkedIn that independent restaurants are probably getting hit the hardest. Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's something to be said with, I mean, you know, when you look at economies of scale, right? I mean, as, as with most businesses, um, you know, publicly traded, obviously they have different stakeholders, um, but also having that franchisee model, right? Like it, it definitely plays an impact on kind of how revenue is coming in. Um, when you do have these more independents or kind of smaller operations, um, you know, or, or even they're not prepared from, um, and again, we'll get into this a little bit more about how, how some of the restaurants are actually uh, dealing with is how prepared were they for, um, you know, from a digital standpoint, even from a physical standpoint, do they have drive through or are they, are they dine in? Like how, how are they actually adjusting to it? Um, from, from my view, I think a lot of independents, unfortunately, are being hit the hardest. Um, and, and a lot of it is because they have smaller operations, um, maybe less uh, cash flow. Um, and, you know, I think there's, there's more sensitivity in, of course, their sales. Um, and so when they're not getting sales for a certain amount, they don't have a certain cash flow that's actually coming in. Yeah. Jesse, what do you think? I mean, you talk to most of the CEOs of our, our clients and, you know, they're large chain restaurants and some of them are franchise owned. Uh, some of them are, you know, more uh, company owned. Have you seen any difference between the company owned versus franchise owned of, you know, how they're responding and able to um, react quickly or not? Yeah. I mean, I, th I think what a lot of people would tend to overlook is that um, franchisees, at least a, a good portion of them are small business owners and they have support, you know, varying levels of support from the franchisor. But at the end of the day, they're just, they're a mom and pop and maybe they're you know, the, the marquee hanging out is a well-known, is well-known brand, but you know, they are self-funded and, you know, there's definitely larger franchise groups and there's corporate owned stores. But I think when you, when you look at it, you know, there, you, there may be even be a movement in your town to not order from a chain and instead order from a local restaurant without really realizing that that local chain may actually be just owned by, you know, somebody living in your neighborhood and hurting you know, maybe more than a, you know, very well-funded uh, local restaurant. Um, I think the interesting thing too, is just seeing what, you know, what, who has access to capital. And we're starting to see right now that there's a lot of, you know, a lot of restaurant chains are starting to raise large sums of money, um, whether it's just stacking up cash in case things get worse or actually to fund, you know, their current operations. Um, and that unfortunately is just something that's not available to, um, to independent restaurants. I think our, you know, my hope would be that, you know, the chains will be able to support the local businesses and franchisees. But I think looking at recovery, I could suspect that the overall mix of restaurants will shift from independent and, you know, individual branded uh, mom and pop restaurants a lot more into chains, whether they're corporate owned chains or, um, or franchise operations. Right. And ho hopefully, you know, the larger corporate owned organizations uh, are supporting their franchisees. Um, you know, a lot of people don't know that most of the franchisees don't actually own their own real estate, right? They're actually renting it from the corporations who actually are the landlords. And so if, if the, you know, the brands are able to extend, you know, terms for, or even just relief for rent, you know, that's a huge help for any of the franchisees that have had to shut their doors and then, um, you know, giving them grace periods on contributions for national advertising funds, things like that will go a long way for these franchisees. What, what do you guys think are some of the lasting impacts that we'll see 
you know, coming out of, uh, you know, quarantine as a response to coronavirus. Yeah, so I, and Jesse, feel free to chime in too. I, I think, you know, outside of franchisee relationships, because I, I do think that that is a continuing factor. And, and I do think that that is something that is going to be uh, worth through from a, a cash flow perspective. Um, I also think just kind of, um, you know, even some of the products, product offerings, and you're seeing kind of um, the way that uh, restaurants, especially in the QSR space, are adjusting even their, their menu mix right now. So for example, there's an adjustment towards um, more family meals or even kits to, to make um, kits at home where they're actually sharing their products uh, with consumers and actually inviting them to, to enjoy that at their house and, and giving them recipes and, and content pieces um, you know, with that. Um, you'll even see kind of restaurants like Moe's uh, for example, they're they're even providing some some grocery staples, right? Um, knowing that chicken, for example, is is sometimes hard to come by at the grocery store, so they're actually offering, um, you know, you can buy chicken even at Moe's Market, right? So that's a, that's a platform that they're opening up. Um, and then I think even um, hey, Drew, just, have you heard anything about any of these restaurants that are actually seeing that be profitable or driving traffic that otherwise wouldn't have come in? I mean, I know a lot of the restaurants, uh, California Pizza Kitchen has a concept like that too. Um, but I'm wondering, I haven't heard anything around how successful the grocery concept has been for restaurants. Yeah, and it might be, admittedly, it might be too early to tell because I think it's such, it has I think a lot of those are in an effort, um, you know, because no one could really assume that, you know, that um, Corona, you know, COVID was was going to happen. So I think that having that pivot was in an effort to, um, you know, you know, try something. <laughs> I think, um, yeah, exactly. So I, I do think in, in kind of from a long lasting effect, I really think that long term, I think restaurants and the way that consumers are going to be engaging with restaurants moving forward. I really do think that that needs to be part of the way that restaurants do think about their their business model and also kind of their menu mix and even kind of just just from our product offerings. Okay. Hey, Drew, what do, you, what do you think about? Uh, so if we have changes to menus, um, how do you think this will affect like LTOs and, you know, more promotion? How yeah. do you think this will affect uh, brands, you know, in an attempt to centralize their menus? Are they still going to be trying these kind of new uh, products? What I predict is I really think in right now, um, I think just from a consumer standpoint, I think a lot of people are going back to basics and kind of like, you know, leaning into the brands that they really, um, uh, respect or trust um, just because I think there's so much uncertainty in the world. And I think that that's just the way that consumer mentality is. So um, I, while I do think that LTOs and, and will uh, continue to be innovative um, and you'll see some different things, but I think it's also going to give a nod or a lean in to nostalgic or kind of those, those comfort or, or even core um, menu items. So that's kind of how I think that would go. So it's, it's interesting that you brought that up. I, I really do think kind of leaning into that because people are, I think are looking for that more comfort um, kind of more familial um, or familiar um, products. Do you think that we're training or that, that brands are training consumers to be even more um, reliant on deals and discounting right now? I mean, even just looking at, you know, all the earnings reports from the public um, restaurant chains are, are coming through this week and, and a lot of them are touting, you know, Del Taco is a good example, touting mm -hmm. their, their promos um, as something that's keeping the chain, chain afloat. But is that actually just training consumers to just bounce from deal to deal? I mean, it's a pretty common 
you know, kind of price war concern about, you know, crisis or a recession. What are your thoughts? I do agree. I, th I think it's a, I think it's a delicate balance, right? Because I, I really do think that there's, um, there's a need obviously to, to look at sales at the moment. And of course we know that promotions and offers and discounts drive, um, you know, business. And, and I was reading some, uh, some studies um, that kind of said like consumers are, you know, willing to travel and do drive through um, or um, purchase things on apps, but they're actually really expecting a discount because, because of the safety issue. Right. So they, they need that kind of threshold or there's, there's something in the consumer mindset where, um, you know, Hey, I, I need some, that extra incentive to actually do that. So, um, you know, I, I think that's right now that might taper off the way that, um, that, I, I do think it's 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 a it's a challenge for brands because I think uh, in the sense we're training consumers to actually um, anticipate that and interact and expect that from from brands. Obviously, we're seeing massive shifts towards digital um, ordering uh, through this. You know, some of our clients just you know we know in general anecdotally. A lot of brands went from 10, maybe 20% of their sales going through digital to, you know, 50, 70, 80% of sales going through digital. Uh, you know, what do you think is, is that going to normalize? Is that going to continue on? Is this going to be the greatest spark of, you know, digital transformation in any industry that we've ever seen? There are some companies and some restaurants that I, I think were really primed um, or, or prepared unknowingly for, for uh, COVID. And I think it was because they um, saw the need for digital transformation or digital um, properties and channels um, even before uh, 2020. And so they were already investing or, or they have already created platforms, loyalty platforms, or they have created these omni-channel digital platforms, right? Um, and so that said, I do think that, uh, that COVID has actually um, propelled or, you know, kind of uh, skyrocketed the, the way that and the need for um, digital transformation. I think that that has been a huge catalyst for it. Absolutely. Because that's exactly how people are purchasing right now. Right. And imagine there are a lot of restaurants, not only just QSR space, but also um, dine in, like how, how are they actually transforming and using digital transformation in that way? So when you think of off premise, right. So uh, delivery pickup, um, but then also, um, you know, you know, delivery partners, um, are they delivering themselves? Um, you know, e-commerce is, you know, and really thinking through those, those um, digital platforms. So yeah, I do, I do personally think that COVID has um, single-handedly really uh, propelled a lot of restaurants, whether they were primed or ready to go, um, or they were just like, oh, hey, we're touching on this and now they actually really see the need. So I'm yeah. curious to see what you guys are seeing as well. Yeah, I think it's a range. I mean, no doubt restaurants um, that were already in market with, um, you know, commerce platforms uh, that could handle and, and relationships and ecosystems that could support off-premise and delivery and online or, or app ordering and contactless payment. They've been able to pivot a lot more quickly. Um, you know, right when COVID hit, you know, almost every one of our clients who, you know, kind of by definition, if you're working with us, it's you're either uh, already in market with with e-commerce um, or you're, you need to get to market. Um, and what we saw is the ones who are already in market with a customized solution were able to pivot really, really quickly and turn on specialized curbside functionality or contactless delivery functionality or adjust their menu or their messaging to highlight um, safety or handle some of these supply chain issues that 
that we referred to. Um, and then, you know, the ones that were looking at, you know, in the middle of longer projects where there was a goal to either optimize a major system that they were, you know, already had in market, but they needed to move to a new one. Um, or they hadn't been in market for, you know, at all yet. And they, you know, just figured, Hey, it's been years. We may as well slow down and get it right before we launch. Um, every single one of those clients shifted their approach to how quickly can we get to market? Mm-hmm. And then the, the clients that we've come across or, you know, and that are looking to get into digital or looking to work with a company like Hathaway have also almost universally changed their approach from, you know, let's say, uh, let's spend six to nine months really trying to get this right before we launch it to a, a new model of how quickly can we launch and then how can we make it better and optimize over time? And I think there's, a, there's you know, now a renewed focus on data. And I think they're all starting to realize that if, if digital orders are now well over 50% of their business, as Kevin mentioned, it could be 80, could be 100% for some brands. Now they have this unique opportunity to actually see what their consumers are buying and how they're interacting and potentially turn, you know, little knobs and levers to, um, to optimize those relationships and, um, you know, and figure out how to make it as easy and convenient as possible and maybe not have to use price um, or offers as a way to incentivize customers to come back. Um, I think everybody's just kind of shifting to an e-commerce mindset, which is, um, which is a different mindset than you might have traditionally seen from a, you know, kind of a brand marketing play or a, a business that largely has, you know, kind of anonymous consumers. That I was literally just thinking about that is like, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of skill gap arises from this. Yeah. So you've got a lot of brand marketers in the restaurant space that, um, you know, they don't have e-commerce marketing skill sets. It's, it's a very different uh, skill set. There's a lot of different, more tactical capabilities around analytics, um, attribution. So there's going to be a lot of things that, um, you know, these skills are going to need to be developed or brought into the industry um, for brands that are taking this seriously. Yeah, I think the the brand that comes to mind when we're talking about data oper- operationalization, being able to operationalize their data is Starbucks, right? And Starbucks made some announcements that they're going to open up like 85% of their stores within the next week. Yep. What do you guys think? Too early, too soon, too fast? I mean, maybe they didn't actually need to close a lot of those stores in the first place. What, uh, what do you guys think about starting to open up dining rooms across the, the country? Like, as, as long as restaurants are adhering to, um, you know, I, th- I think uh, consumers and, and their trust in brands, you know, that's, that's something that I've, I've been reading a lot about and, and kind of the, the shift towards, um, you know, consumers thinking that brands should be stepping up or even trusting uh, brands more than the government as far as kind of their involvement in the way that um, kind of... Um, it, businesses are about to reopen again. And and I think that that's really one thing that brands can step up and especially in restaurants is, you know, not only looking out for customers, but their employees and kind of the, and, and, and putting people above profit. Right. I think that's something that customers are really kind of keeping their eye on and, and listening to stories about how um, brands are not only giving back to communities, customers, frontline workers, uh, you know, doctors, nurses, et cetera. Um, but also how are they treating their employees? And I think when, when they do reopen and, and Starbucks 
I'm sure will do the exact same thing where they're actually, um, you know, thinking through uh, what would be a, a, you know, safety and transparency, right? So are they looking at um, social distancing within store? Are they only opening up in the, in the phased approach where you can do pickup and then a couple of weeks later, they'll kind of allow maybe more people to sit down and, but they'll, they'll maybe take some of the chairs out. So therefore it's not as full. So I really think that that's what consumers are going to be looking for as well. And, um, and, I, and I do think brands like that are, they need to be thinking about that too. Yeah, I, I was talking to one um, one brand uh, the other day, and they mentioned that like we're not really actually going to have to do anything differently in store. It's more of just making a show of it. So you know, previously you might have said, "Hey, just you know, to your busser, like just try to get in and out and wipe down the table, and just don't spend a lot of you know, don't be as visible." But now it's like, "Hey, make sure you're visible. Make sure <laughs> people see you scrubbing that, you know, scrubbing each of these tables." Um, you know, and just kind of, obviously everybody cares about food safety, you know, and if you, if you don't trust the food at the place you're ordering from, you probably shouldn't have been frequenting there, um, before, but it's just making sure it's, it's actually visible. I mean, I think my, we're seeing some interesting things, right? Like nobody wants to reopen too early and then have to roll back, but there's enormous pressure to be able to reopen. Um, and we're seeing it in different ways. We're seeing that some, restaurants um, or even brands are saying, hey, technically we could reopen in this area, but we believe that the governor is being a little bit too aggressive with it. So we're going to hold back. But then you're seeing the other one, I think it was uh, today I saw a headline that in Dallas uh, reopened against uh, the regulations and was arrested. And they said it was an act of civil disobedience. Um, But then like the lines get blurred because is it civil disobedience or is it just somebody who needs the income? Um, But it's, it's interesting, like how those things are going to be played. And then what's your obligation at a corporate level to, um, to prevent, you know, people from maybe making a decision that isn't out of desperation, but maybe is, you know, ill-advised. I'm, uh, I'm more excited than ever. I mean, like five years ago, we kind of made a conscious decision to shift our business uh, and really understand and develop solutions for the restaurant industry. And that was because we saw the writing on the wall. You know, e-commerce was going to happen. Um, there was going to be this transformation and it was already happening. If anything, this is just going to be a, an accelerator um, that's really going to spark that transformation to happen faster. So I'm, I'm excited and grateful to be, you know, working in this industry. Um, Drill, Drew, has this changed your perspective on like where, what you want to do? Do you want to continue to work in the restaurant industry like long-term? Yeah. So, um, you know, in my career, I've, I've had the opportunity to work in a couple different industry verticals. Um, you know, in, I've worked in tech, I've, I've worked in automotive, I've worked in uh, consultant consultancy um, and, and food. I really do enjoy food. I think uh, for a number of different reasons, I, I think one is um, food uh, from a, um, a consumer standpoint and just B2C standpoint is, A, we all eat, right? It's also one of those very tangible products. Like it's very sensual, right? You can smell it, you can eat it. Um, you know, visually pleasing. Um, and that's definitely one of the things that we lean into from a marketing standpoint. Um, and I also think food is a fas- uh, is a passion point. I think it brings community. Um, and then I think the last point is um, exactly like you were talking to. I, I think there's a lot of white space in the way that um, 
restaurants and the food industry, there's still a lot to do. I think the food industry can look at some retailers and maybe CPG um, industries and see that uh, even from an e-commerce standpoint, I, I still think there's a lot of room for um, uh, for a lot of brands to tap into and, and move in that space. And so I really, I really enjoy it from that perspective. Awesome. Well, I think that uh, brings us to a wrap today. Uh, Drew, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, that was fantastic. And um, I don't know. I don't know how to close this out. <laughs> well, Jesse, thanks for Jesse what do you think? <laughs> oh, we need like, uh, that's the way the cookie crumbles. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what we need. A tagline. <laughs> Drew, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, stay safe out there. And we'll uh, see you when things start opening up again. Yeah, Drew, thanks a lot. Good, uh, good seeing you. Looking forward to uh, visiting out in uh, Nashville when the world opens back up. Yeah. Well, thank you guys very much. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to seeing the different hairstyles um, very soon. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm going to have to get on the the mohawk train. I know, I know. I, I kind of gave myself a little bit of a haircut today too, but I should have gone like full. Yeah, that's a self haircut? That's a pretty good fit. Yeah, bro. yeah. I've been practicing for a long time. <laughs> uh, but no, maybe I'll do the mohawk next time. But yeah, no, great seeing you guys and, and really hope to see you guys soon. All right, All right. thanks, man. See ya. Bye. Bye. So great, great conversation today. Um, you know, it was really nice kind of getting some insider industry perspective on what's going on in response to COVID-19 and, you know, really some of the lasting changes. You know, Jesse, what, what do you think? I mean, we talked a little bit about it, but maybe you could elaborate. What do you think is going to happen long term uh, coming out of this? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we've talked about there's going to be the potential for consolidation of, uh, you know, whether it's real estate or just overall market share from mom and pops uh, potentially into larger brands. Um, I think we're going to, you know, have to take some time fighting our way out of the discount chasing mentality that brands kind of have no choice but to turn to right now. Um, and I think we're, you know, seeing that the savvy brands are really highlighting, you know, differentiation in, uh, you know, in their fulfillment models and their food, focusing on value and safety um, and trying not to use discounts as the number one tool in their arsenal, um, but turning to things that they can control and leverage they can pull related to loyalty and optimizing transactions. Totally. I, I completely agree. I think this is going to be the single biggest accelerator of digital transformation for the restaurant industry. I mean, we've seen it in our business. Um, you know, virtually all of our clients are leaning into digital. Uh, you know, we've actually brought on some new clients over the last few months. Um, and that's really going to be the new battleground. Uh, today's consumer chooses convenience over quality nine times out of 10 and having the right digital experience is what leads to the most convenient experience for consumers. Thanks everyone for tuning in today. This was the first episode of Beyond the Counter. Tune in for more episodes. Uh, we've got some fantastic speakers and guests lined up. Until next time, stay safe out there. And if you'd like Kevin to also shave his head into a mohawk, feel free to hit us up and let us know. That's going to be a tall order. <laughs> but is it going to be this tall? I don't know. Uh, if you want to learn more about Hathaway, check out our website. This will be posted on our website. You can learn more about what we do and the solutions we provide to the restaurant industry. Check us out on LinkedIn. Likes on Facebook. I don't think we have a MySpace page. Ooh, but we should get Jesse's mohawk on TikTok. 
we should get TikTok though. Thanks so much, Jesse. It was a lot of fun. I can't wait for the next episode. Super excited to continue uh, on with our next guest. Uh, thanks everybody for joining. We'll see you again soon. Thanks everyone for tuning in today. You've been listening to Beyond the Counter, a new podcast created, recorded, and produced by the team at Hathaway. Your hosts today were Hathaway CEO, Jesse Dundon, and CMO, Kevin Rice. A big thank you again to our good friend, Drew Dill, for his time. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more info on Hathaway and Beyond the Counter, please visit us at wearehathaway.com. Thanks again for listening, everyone. Stay safe, and we'll catch you on the next Beyond the Counter. Thank you.